You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. We have a terrific show featuring four amazing experts in the field of diocesan appeals. And they're going to talk about how the appeals have changed a little bit over the last 18 months and what they see coming down the pike in the fall of 2021. Each of them brings a wealth of experience and I'm going to introduce them in just a moment. But first, this is a big weekend for the Friend family because our daughter Madison is graduating from high school. And so to start this episode out, I want to offer a prayer today for Madison and all the graduates who are ending one journey and beginning the next phase of their life. I'm not sure who authored this prayer, but it really spoke to me. And so, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God of mercy, we ask that you help our children to walk in your wisdom and grace. We pray for spiritual eyes and discernment in all things. Help them to be wise leaders and influencers in this generation, not conformed to the world, but transformed by your power. We ask that you would equip them with all that they need to make a difference for your purposes. Help them to live as salt and light in a dark world that so desperately needs to know your truth. We ask for your power to help them to walk continually in honesty and integrity. Build within them deep godliness that they would be more concerned about their character than their reputation. We pray that they would seek to bring honor to you throughout their lives, that they would have a vision and heart for the world. Extend their boundaries and give them incredible influence with people and nations. Make their hearts and spirits open to every plan and purpose you have for them, and to be willing to go boldly wherever you call. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Happy graduation, my Madison, and to all of our graduates. Now, let's get to work. And so now I'd like to introduce you to our four panelists who will share their expertise again in the field of diocesan appeals. First, Brian Newbergy is the Executive Director of Stewardship in the Annual Catholic Appeal for the Archdiocese of St. Louis, where he served since 2001, first as the business manager, and then as director of the Annual Catholic Appeal and Major Gifts, until he took over as leader of the office in 2010. Brian is a frequent presenter for the ICSC and is a graduate of Fontbonne University with degrees in music business and business administration. Next, we have Marta Sweeney, the Vice President and Chief Community Service Officer for the Catholic Foundation of Central Florida. Marta began with the Diocese of Orlando in 1995, where she served as data coordinator for 13 years. And then in 2008, she transitioned to the foundation, where she was Director of Campaigns and Administration, and then Director of Donor Relations and Annual Giving, before taking her current role as Vice President. Marta is a member of the board of the International Catholic Stewardship Conference. We also have Lisa Wentz, Director of the Charity and Development Appeal for the Diocese of Phoenix. Lisa began her career as a product marketing manager for U.S. West Communications before serving at the Catholic Foundation for the Diocese of Green Bay as a marketing specialist. Lisa has a BA in psychology and communications, and she also volunteers as a cantor at her home parish. 
And last, but certainly not least, Tom Smith is the Director of Development for the Diocese of Metuchen. He previously served at Lynch Development Associates for nine years as Vice President of Operations and in the Archdiocese of New York Catholic Schools Office as the Director of Child Nutrition Programs. Dr. Lynch has a PhD in Educational Leadership and Administration and a master's degree in Educational Administration from Fordham University, plus an MBA from Rutgers University. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. And now, without further ado, here's our conversation. Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome to Advancing Our Church. We're so glad to have you here today. We have a distinguished panel of guests, and we're going to be talking about diocesan appeals, how those have changed and evolved, and what we're expecting to come out of the fall of 2021. So before we get started, why don't we go ahead and make some introductions here. It's exciting. We have representation from coast to coast, everybody's perspective on where diocesan appeals are headed. So first up, we have Brian Newbrigy, who is the Executive Director of Stewardship and the Annual Catholic Appeal at the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Brian, welcome. Thank you, Jim. Good afternoon. We have Marta Sweeney, who is the Vice President and Chief Community Service Officer at the Catholic Foundation of Central Florida. Welcome, Marta. Thank you so much, Jim. I'm glad to be here. And we have Lisa Wentz, who is returning to the podcast. She's the Director of the Charity and Development Appeal at the Diocese of Phoenix. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you, Jim. Nice to be here. And last but certainly not least, we have Tom Smith, the Director of Development for the Diocese of Metuchen. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, everyone. Good to be with you. It would be a bit redundant to say life has changed for all of us over the last year, year and a half, and uh, so have our jobs and our focus and the way we spend our time, so many different things that we can talk about today. Today, we're going to focus in a little sharply on diocesan appeals because certainly many of you are finishing up this year's diocesan appeal, getting ready possibly for a fall appeal or a spring 2022 appeal. And so it's a good time to kind of pull back a little bit, look at what has worked well, look at what we're going to try that might be new for next year. Maybe there are some things that you've tried that are, are you're going to maintain and, and continue in your diocesan appeals. But Brian, why don't we ask you to start how has your approach to diocesan appeals changed over the past year? Jim, yeah. One of the things that we've been working towards and talking with some of our parishes about, we have very much a parish-based, parish-focused appeal, and we have been working on having more of that go direct solicitation. And parishes and our volunteers have always been a little hesitant on that because they wanted to have control. They wanted to be able to know when someone gave and that sort of thing, understandably, which we love for them to have that ownership. Last year before the pandemic, interestingly, we have our launch sessions. We talk with everybody about making a move towards more direct solicitations, more direct pledge cards, even during the main phase of the appeal, more online presence, more online solicitations. It's always been an online presence, but making it more of a feature. And lo and behold, everybody supported it. We had a lot of positive responses this time because we presented it differently, right? We said, this is going to help you with your appeals. Then the pandemic hit. So we make that shift. What we were going to do over a couple of years, we tried to make that shift right away. So what we've done is a lot more direct solicitation, more electronics solicitation, in fact, this year, we've had our, our biggest uh, online giving days that we've ever had for the appeal just this past year. I'm sure a lot of organizations are experiencing that. So it's been more direct effort, again, keeping that communication out, staying in front of people, even during the pandemic, not backing down. Wonderful. Excellent. Lisa, how about you? We really took the pandemic as an opportunity to flip our appeal on its heels. <laughs> mm -hmm. We changed a ton. And like Brian, we did a much stronger effort in direct mail. We increased our mailings. We improved our segmentation. 
And we really have been knocking it out of the park with our electronic marketing. We do a lot of emailing. We do more social media than we have in the past. So all of that has been quite effective. And then probably the newest thing for us has been that for two years now, we've had an opportunity to do a matching gift. We have a donor who has come forward two years in a row with a $500,000 gift and has allowed us to match it. So it allowed us last year to raise about 1.2 in the spring, and we're on track to do that again right now. Excellent. Tom, Marta, how about you guys? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things was the, the initial communications we really amped up coming out of our office and out of our diocesan center. But the messaging was twofold. One, it was contemporary messaging. So, you know, last year's appeal for 2020, we kind of had to shift what we were talking about. One of the things we always maintained, though, was the spiritual context of what it is that we were doing. And we always lead with that. We always end with that. And we use that as our foundation. The monies and the goals and the totals, everything that we do were very real and tangible things. But to really be very deliberate and intentional about the mission of what we're doing and how we're called to bring those resources in has been a focal point of our communications. We shifted our Bishop's Annual Appeal video from one longer six to seven minute piece to four shorter two to three minute pieces this year that we were able to get out to the parishes and they used it at mass accordingly, you know, relevant and contextual to how they were able to use it at mass, but we use it electronically, virtual means, because the story never changes. We were just telling it differently, you know, and we found that we were able to focus on marquee ministries better that way. And, and I, you know, the responses came in as such. We did add an extra mailing this year because Last year, we took away our in-pew, and then this year, we did like a quasi-in-pew because mass attendance started to come back, but we did add one extra mailing appeal. I thought we got very granular with our data and our segmentation, and we got more granular with it in terms of our messaging to key donors and when we were doing it, and the electronic platform. We happened to be at a moment where we changed our electronic giving from our legacy database into you know, our new uh, cloud system online form. So that certainly lent itself to us. But because of that, we were able to promote electronic giving more, promote it at the parishes more. It's certainly the giving has bore fruit in, in that sense. And really just being available to our pastors and our parish leadership teams was one thing that we were definitely very intentional and deliberate. And we did so frequently. Bi-monthly meetings to help troubleshoot issues at the parish level, help identify issues, help us be a better resource to them. And we're going to continue that to help build out next year's appeal as well. That's great. Marta, how about you? How have things changed in the Diocese of Orlando when it comes to your appeal? Well, we have for a long time had highly segmented mailings, our, both our pre-appeal mailing and all of our follow-up mailings. They're very segmented. Sometimes we have upwards of 20 letters plus that go out. So we decided that we should focus more on online giving, we were very concerned as were a lot of people about the lack of people in the pews. And we have a pretty robust in pew process as well in the past, but we knew we were going to take a, a hit on that this year. So we tried to really focus on online giving and 
we created a lot of visuals, graphics that the parishes could use. Many of our parishes, I would say the biggest majority, if not all, were live streaming masses. So we created things like slides that they could put up on their screens, which had, uh, we, uh, we went so far as to buy a URL that was very simple. The name of our appeal is Our Catholic Appeal. And so we just bought the URL, www.ourcatholicappeal.org. And so people just had to remember Our Catholic Appeal and be able to go online. So we did that in you know large print so people could see it easily if they were viewing from home. Like a lot of others, we, we put QR codes on everything we had, took people directly to our giving page. And the result has been a very large increase in online giving. And as a matter of fact, we have more than made up, I think, for the loss of in-pew gifts because it, it seems that people who give online give more. So we've done very well so far, and we're we're pleased with the effort, as are a lot of other dioceses were very concerned about loss in donors because we are down numbers of donors, but money-wise, it's coming in. So is anyone's appeal actually up from pre-pandemic? Our is dollars it- are up. Our dollars are up. Yeah. Down. Mm-hmm. Number of donors is down. Sure. Donor retention is always something that we all battle every year, but the dollars are, are up. That's great, Lisa. And we're in the same place too. I think yeah. a lot of places are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where our total pledge is is up significantly actually compared to the last two years. But same same issue with the number of donors. But Marta, yeah, you know, going to your point about the online giving, our averages for our online gift are about like 60 or 70% more than our general average gift to the appeal. Mm-hmm. People are just more purposeful when they, uh, I think, when they approach their gift online. So, um, you know, we've been trying to market that as much as we can, the online piece. We were much more bold this year on our pledge cards in suggested giving amounts, and it worked. <laughs> when so you say, was, say, say more about that, Lisa, how were you more bold? In the past, I've been just, cautious. We suggest small increases. Mm -hmm. And this year we pushed it. We suggested higher giving amounts based on prior giving history. Great. We had somebody helping us kind of dissect that and really pushed me (laughs) into asking for more with those individual gifts. And it definitely has worked. Our average gift is up significantly. We also have launched a new online giving page And we're really encouraging recurring giving. It's going to be a work in progress. Like there are people who think they're making a pledge or they think they're making a one-time gift, but they've been by and large gracious about just letting us help them get that corrected. But it's definitely been working in our favor. We've doubled our number of recurring givers in just a few months. Yeah, we we had a similar experience with our online giving platform. There's some more work on the back end, but like, you know, troubleshooting, you know, recurring pledges or one-time gifts because it was a new platform, but there's significantly less work on the front end. And we were definitely in a position where we were probably losing donors because of the, the, the previous platform, which has now brought us back. And we identified a lot of new donors too through it, which we were able to kind of sift through and curious to see how that plays out for next year. But we had a similar experience with that. And they're very patient, very understanding. You know, it's it's an easy enough page and, you know, we're pretty quick with getting back to everybody. So as we know, maintaining the number of donors and, and recapturing donors is such a high priority for everyone. And we've been in a situation over the last year and a half where we've not been able to have as much personal contact with our donors. So 
How are you all compensating for that to try to stay close to your donors? Who wants to take that one? Well, I know I've tried to make more telephone calls. It's amazing how grateful people are for a thank you call. You know, yeah. and I'm telling you thank you, but you're thanking me for thanking you. You know, right. people really do appreciate that. You know, we have a new archbishop and it's been a real challenge for him getting out because he hasn't been able to have the big, the whole flock together until this past Saturday, we just ordained six priests and the cathedral was, was had a lot of people in it again. And it felt like the old times mm-hmm. and there was a lot of excitement there, but it's been difficult, but you know, by, by taking the, the online presence and our, our events, making them online, but not just making them an online version of what we did live, but really trying to cater to that online event has helped. And when we did our kickoff dinner, for example, you know, we did a kind of a sit down fireside chat. There's an element of that where they got to know the new archbishop a little in a little way they wouldn't have been just sitting listening to him talk in a crowd because there's some back and forth and he's answering their questions that are coming through online and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm not going to say it was a positive. I'm not ever going to say that. But I think you look at the new reality that we were in and not just try to cram the old square peg into that round hole, but say, how does, what do we do to make this work as best it can? I've seen a lot of people had a lot of success with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we had some initial outreach in touching. We broke down our donor lists to three of us in the office, including myself. We started making out, you know, wellness calls um, every day for those first two months, almost. We spent the better part of the day really just calling donors. You know, I handled our major donors but I had other individuals in, on staff handle donors that we normally probably would not be calling on a daily basis. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know that sounds somewhat conflicting, no. but we just can't sit there and make thousands of calls every single month right. uh, with the personnel. With that said, we learned that, you know, the purpose of the call was to check in on them to see how they were doing. Mm-hmm. And that alone, you know, it just morphed, you know, conversations just morphed in, in different ways. Sure. We were trying to push them to, to, and make them aware of the different, prayer services and masses that were being live streamed and where they can find it. We were making them aware that our Catholic spirit, which is our diocesan newspaper, our main publication is where they can find it online, how they can get electronically. And if they want it mailed. So we started mailing that as well. So the mailing distribution list for the Catholic spirit, like uh, went from about like a thousand that would get mailed to like 15,000 for the last year. And and they really appreciated that uh, very much so. So, you know, we learned a lot. Some of it was standard follow-up, handwritten notes, thank you calls. Brian, you know, we, 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 we thanked our donors. We always call them to, to thank them as well. And, you know, we are blessed with the bishop too, who even prior to the pandemic, he was visiting parishes. Uh, it didn't stop during the pandemic. You know, he made his presence known. So uh, we're very blessed to have a bishop who is very present and accessible uh, that way. We did similar things too. So back in early November, our appeal launches in February, like many of us. And in November, we started our top 100 donors and Bishop just sent them a letter just saying, thank you for supporting us over the years. It was just a touch point signed by him. Many of them had personal notes because he knew them. And then over Christmas and into January, he was making phone calls to donors that he wouldn't normally call. And that was through coaching from people on our team, you know, Bishop, please call this person. Here's a little information about them. The gratitude from the donors who get those calls from the Bishop is beyond measure. It's just, they're so grateful to get that call. We had a donor call in with a gift for CDA. It was actually from a son 
and for his mom. Mom's in a nursing home, but she really wants you to give to the appeal. Our donor services people got that information to the bishop, and the bishop was so touched by it that he went to see her in the nursing home. So obviously, you can't do that with a ton of people, but just those few little seeds you plant really reap a great reward. So those individual touch points, I think, are invaluable. Yeah, that's beautiful, Lisa. We too did a lot of calling, but our board of directors, the Catholic Foundation is governed by a board of directors, and they split up our highest giving society, and we call it the Corpus Christi Giving Society, and it's our donors that give $10,000 or more each year to our Catholic Appeal, and they called every one of them, and I think last year there was about 124 total. So we split those up among the board members and they all got calls around Christmas time telling them thank you for their support. And then in addition, we did send emails. We actually did a a little survey monkey survey asking the people that we would normally be inviting to an event. If there is something special, would they they feel comfortable yet coming to an in-person mass with the bishop, but not having, you know, a meal where we could social distance and everything. And most of them said no, that the bishop praying for them was enough at this time. And they felt like we should just forego doing anything in person this year. But it was still a touch point to be able to ask them. And we were able to get their opinion on several things. And we felt like that was was a really good thing. So important. Data is something that's so critical. And, and now that we're using more digital means to drive data, uh, how are you now using data maybe in a way that you didn't before? How have you been using data to drive progress for your appeals? We always have used, you know, our ask levels here, you know, and we do, depending upon where you're at, you know, we, we put put you on a bump scale. And we found that this year and last year compared to previous years, I think our donor base, our parishioners who have the inclination as well as the means and who were not financially impacted, adversely at least, really looked on their own blessings, their own resources, and, you know, responded in a way, knowing that they were, you know, we weren't going to get as many gifts as we've had in years past. So we took that this year and we did like a test group of, because we have a new database system. We did a test group with our ask levels based based off of that, like a A group and a B group, utilizing the research and the tools that we now have available to us in the development office, using different prospecting and different wealth scans based on what those those yielded. One of the things we started to do in the parishes, well, in all parishes rather, but with our donors who have not, you know, consistently supported the appeal or or lapsed over a period of time, we looked at the parish average gift, and if they were, fell into that group where they either fell below that average gift or did not make a gift at all, our ask level to them was the parish average gift. We can get very specific with the amount of data that we're analyzing, as long as I think we measure it at the end of the day to determine its impact. But that's how we're using data here. Brian? Uh, yeah, I like that idea of using the parish average gift like that to create someone's individual ask amount. That's an interesting thought. One of the things we did this year with this try to set up multiple online web pages with different looks and different feels. You know, for example, one thing we did, we did the testing, uh, we tested our online web page. We we set up a separate web page, one for specifically for donors, and then one our old one specifically for volunteers and and our leadership and that sort of thing. But we broke the donor experience out altogether. We tested it with and without the video because we've always assumed this video helped. 
And indeed it did. The webpage with the video actually had an over 50% conversion rate to getting people to click on the donate now button versus something in the twenties without the video. And we did different microsites with a rural audience in mind or an urban audience in mind, older or younger. Interesting though, the, the, the basic web webpage that we put out there with the video has been the highest performer. Brian, is the video on your online giving page or is it on the web page? It's on the microsite. We call it the microsite. It's a separate page that's specifically for donations. We, we took that site this year. We made it smaller, less complex, less snazzy, if you will, but more focused on assuming the person who goes there has some interest and is ready to click the donate now button. Again, we've had a much better outcome and, and that video is embedded in the website. We tried it where you could just click the link to, to see if you wanted to watch the full video. But again, that that underperformed versus having the video present. You know, I think for us, so we're relatively new into RENXT. We started right before the pandemic. <laughs> it was kind of a learning experience last year amidst the, the pandemic, but we kind of hit our stride finally, you know, last summer. We launched dashboards for parish reporting this year. Yeah. It's not perfect, but the beauty of it is that every parish now can access their dashboard for their results at any time. And it's only about two hours delayed from live reporting. As of right now, we have about 65% of our parishes who are participating better than I thought it would be. There's a few technical difficulties, but it's the parishes who have it and use it well really like it. It's mm -hmm. just taking a little bit of training to get there, but it sure does help with the execution of reporting. It's it's less work on my end for sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things we did was since our mailings were already highly segmented and basically almost every individual, well, every individual's ask was based on their prior giving and depending on if they had skipped a year or had been giving faithfully for the years would depend on what their, you know, how much of an increase we would ask for. But the increases started at 5% if there had been a, a loss and then 10% if there, if there had been a year skipped or more than a year skipped and then 10% if there had been, if they had been giving every year. We had not done that for our email. Uh, our email, basically, we had just sent kind of the, the same email to everybody. It was just one blast. So this year, we decided to segment our emails and send them the same way we do our direct mail. I think it was it was very helpful. The thing is, we didn't really ask for an amount, but we the, the messaging that was in the email... Uh, in the body of the email was different based on the group that was going to receive it. I think we all decided that we like this and we would probably continue it going forward. Yeah, that's that's interesting, uh, Marta. I would love to customize our emails that way. I know it's something that we've jotted down and it's on our radar. One of the ways we used that, utilized our emails this year, I should say one of the ways we're going to be using our emails this year, because we used it right around this time last year as a final follow-up, was to do it in conjunction with our final letter, which comes from our pastors. The pastors customize two letters of the appeal, including the final one. And we had them last year customize their email solicitation to uh, their, their parish base as, as well. And we definitely saw a difference with those who participated in that option versus those who, who didn't. You know, the results were night and day. You know, obviously pastors who personalize both their letter and their email are going to 
generally have better results. But um, but we got, we we brought it down to the parish level. Our use of emails, and they I think appreciated it very much. So that we sat there and we helped them craft a relevant message to that parish. Sometimes we tried to highlight some key ministries that resonate with that parish. If they had a seminarian come out from there, or if that particular parish happens to be you know, more aligned with, you know, the, the mission of Catholic charities, which is part of our appeal as well. So that, that was one of the ways we utilized our emails. That's great. So speaking of relationships, obviously not just donors, but having good solid working relationships with pastors, as you all know, is such an important part of any diocesan appeal. Was this a year where pastors needed a little bit more help, a little more handholding, a little more uh, coaching if you will, from the appeal office to make sure that they understood that the approach this year might've been a little different than in previous years? Yeah, most definitely. We've been, since the pandemic started, initially we were doing, I think it was weekly webinars. And I mean, the appeal, we never stopped the appeal, but we paused it. You know, there was a short break, maybe six weeks or eight weeks that we paused it and came back to life. But we were we have still the Wednesday webinars, Wednesday webinars with the pastors and the parish leadership. And it has been invaluable in building relationships. And it's not just about the appeal. It's about a lot of things. You know, the appeal is minuscule on the radar, but it's been really interesting. Participation has dropped a little bit. It was weekly for a long time, for many months. And then probably by the end of last summer, we went every two weeks and now we're doing them monthly. It's usually the third Wednesday of every month. And we do these webinars and Conde kind of usually kicks it off and we have guest speakers and Bishop is always on, but it's a way for our Bishop to connect with his flock and it's invaluable. Yeah, we had a similar experience too. We had bi-monthly Zoom meetings with our pastors and our lay leadership teams at, at the parish levels. And, you know, what it did for the appeal, um, I would attribute the success, the success of the appeal partially or largely to making ourselves available. And, you know, we were able to learn from one another. We were able to troubleshoot both matters of the appeal and matters beyond. Uh, it's worked so well. I think uh, w- w- one of the things we're, we're, we're probably going to be doing is we're going to do two tracks in preparation for next year's appeal. Probably going to all be virtual just to garner more support. One is a sp- you know, just kind of like spiritual retreat and renewal where we we lead with the foundation of spirituality. Then we kind of talk about the things that worked and the things that didn't for this year. And then we can actually move into some actual tactics for the appeal for next year. But then also a revisitation of our training and our orientation with our lay teams, our, our parish teams, based on what we have seen. So some of it will come out of the, that aforementioned meeting, but we're, we're thinking about doing three blocks. One of the things that came out of this meeting, these meetings, these bi-monthly meetings, was putting the bishop's annual appeal uh, electronically on the parish platforms. So if they have, you know, you know, we share or faith direct, and we made that available, and we actually got more new donors that way, utilizing that. A deliberate and intentional retraining of the NPU, so much so where we have a pastor who's going to actually you know, get on camera, do the NPU, make the ask, we're going to have pledge cards and fake well, real people, but, you know, it's going to be staged, you know, the, everything from the messaging to actually implementation, and then just general training topics. We're going to do a, a spiritual renewal tract and then actual, you know, three webinars leading up to the appeal for next year, available for pastors and lay teams. They don't have to sit on every single one of them. It's what they want to gain out of it. Marta or Brian, did you have something? Yeah. 
Yeah, we did our training virtually this year, obviously, and the people seemed to like it. Uh, the mm-hmm. people said they wanted to keep doing it. We were planning on still making the virtual a component of next year's. And then what I found was actually this year, people were more confused this year than they were last year. And I think that's a little bit of a function of now we're in hybrid, right? Now people are there, people aren't there. Last year, it was much more clear, right? Everybody stay away kind of thing, do what we can virtually. Now there's this, people are unclear. I think there was this unsurety. We had a lot of people asking us questions that we talked about in those webinars. And and I found myself wondering if the virtual training that we offered while the people liked it and they were there, if they really got what they needed from it. And if I was able to really connect with them in that personal way that I can when we're one-on-one. So I guess I'm in a place where I'm questioning that. I like the the original question about how we impacted pastors. I was thinking back how Lisa, you know, when you asked us about data, Jim, and she went right to Tom and I were talking about how we use data. She went about how we're pushing it out to the parishes. I think that's a great way to be thinking about this is how do, how do, if we're, if we say we want them to have professional practices with this as best we can, how are we pushing that data out to them? We're trying a new system too, where we're doing some online reporting with our parishes in a new way. We've had the system before. We're trying to make it easier, more accessible right now, and it's working. It's been interesting. Some of our parish chairs have been calling and asking some really, you know, complex questions about their fundraising approach and really plotting their course forward based on how many libants they have and prior giving history and all this sort of thing. It's been great to see. Answering a couple of questions here at once, but I'm not sure here about the the online training piece of it. I I think it has to be a a portion going forward because people are going to expect it. I'm just not sure that I want to rely on on it too much and lose that connection that I've had with the the Mm face-to-face. I'm actually planning on kind of doing a hybrid because we're so spread out like many of us are. And mm-hmm. so if people physically can't get to a training when we've got it booked in person, I want to make sure they have something. What I like is the spiritual component. Like I feel like we have a fair amount of apathy amongst our pastors and maybe it's, I need to get away from going through the motions, <laughs> the mm-hmm. tactics, and we need to get to the spirituality of it again. I need to think about what I'm going to incorporate in the training now. <laughs> yeah. Brian, I think that's interesting, uh, your experience, because I would have to say, I think ours was the opposite. We got a lot of feedback after doing our virtual trainings, that, that particularly from the pastors, that they got more out of it because when we did the per, the in-person trainings, there was always lunch involved. And so they were eating and they were doing other things. They were talking with their fellow priests and they hadn't seen in a while. And, you know, they weren't as focused is, is kind of the, the feedback that we got and that they really uh, got a lot more out of it and liked the fact that it was virtual. We invited them to bring a brown bag because we always did our trainings around lunch. So we said, bring your lunch to the meeting and, you know, we will all have have our lunch together. That was our experience. Go ahead. I, I'll let Brian go. Oh, well, I would say it was it was interesting because when we asked the people on the course of that webinar, we did a little poll, the virtual webinars won out high. And we were able to record it and put it on the website so people could watch it and we could refer people back to it. And we did a few of them and people really loved it. Still, the questions that were coming in from people who I knew were there were were some of the basic questions that we were answering. And I found myself wondering if people were really zoned in or I'm sure nobody who's watching this webinar right now is also checking their email and checking other things happening oh, right now. No, no, that never happens during laser focused on us, Brian. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Great. 
Great point. Great point. Yeah. No, but I mean, I think that, I mean, for all leaders, you know, development leaders, diocesan leaders, school leaders, uh, like we're at that crossroads where, you know, we can't go back to everything we did before COVID where, you know, if you said I was going to do a major gift visit a year, a year and a half ago now, you know, via Zoom, you know, we all probably would have been like, no, that's not the way to go about doing this or doing a reception or something yeah. like that. I don't think we're, you know, but um, we also, I don't think we rely on the sole use of virtual means either. You know, I don't think anything ever pla- replaces the interaction, the face-to-face interaction. I agree. I think part of it is navigating through, all right, what are people's comfort levels? And then the practicality of, okay, you know, what 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 can we afford here in the, in the sense of, you know, we can do this online. We don't need to call the presbyterate in, you know, uh, for, for whatever meeting we're going to have. I don't know. I don't want to make up a topic. And get held to it. So um, <laughs> we, we could do that online. But then there are certain things that I, I think absolutely should be taking taken in place. And I think it's all relative to the the local diocese and, and really what's allowed too. <laughs> what 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 the local governments are allowing too, I suppose. But well, Jim, your original question was about reaching out and how did we help the pastors? And one of the things that the pandemic did help us to put in place was I meant you mentioned at the, at the beginning of this when you were introducing us I have a community services team and we are a team of four and we split our parishes among the four of us and became assigned contacts for particular parishes so that we each had to only focus on the parishes that were under our our names in the list and so um that really allowed us to give a lot of personalized service. And we are continuing that, not just with the appeal, but offertory enhancement, everything that we're doing, we have now kept our group of parishes and they know who they can depend on. And, you know, we're cheering them on for reaching their goal. We're calling them to to see what we can do to help them get closer to their goal. And um, all of that is is really important. So I, I would I would credit the pandemic for that change in our office, and we will definitely keep with that. Yeah, Marta, we too reorganized our office right before the pandemic started. We were just coming off the heels of a capital campaign, and we had campaign managers. I think there were five, and we were able ultimately to keep three. So they are now engagement managers as of January a year ago, and part of their portfolio is the parishes. They've been a huge help. Having these engagement managers they have the one-on-one connection that just as one person, I myself can't do. I can't touch 117 parishes every year, but they can do a really good job of connecting with them on the appeal and on many other things. I love the title. Yeah. I love the title, Engagement Directors. Mm -hmm. That's great. um, And when the pandemic hit, like we had, I forget the percentage, but there was a huge number of parishes that didn't have online giving for their parishes. Yes. So these engagement managers just hit the ground and went in and did everything they could to help teach these parishes how to get their online giving up, what the options were, and then also how to stream masses online. Exactly. You know, their original job description just completely changed. They pivoted and did all this stuff to help parishes through the pandemic. And now finally we're circling back to where they can start to build a portfolio of parishes and of donors and of different agencies. It's going to be a huge benefit to have these three 
Engagement. I agree. Well, it certainly seems as though we've we've opened Pandora's box, and so putting online away altogether, this this idea of hybrid meetings certainly, I think, will have appeal for a lot of people because. I remember from my diocesan days asking some people to drive an hour to an hour and a half just to come to an hour, you know, to a 90 minute meeting. I always felt a little bit bad about that. So if you can offer some folks in some regions, you know, have a, an option that's online, it sure, certainly makes a, a whole lot of sense. You know, when we think about donors, I think one of the areas that we all struggle with uh, is engaging younger people, younger donors uh, in our appeal. How do you, how do, how are you reaching out to younger donors or have you, uh, put together any strategies that uh, will kind of bridge the generation and reach a younger audience? Well, that's the million dollar question there, right? I, it, you know, <laughs> I, I think I think like declining giving, you know, we talked about that. Let's come up a few times, declining number of givers. Sure. Giving to these annual appeals, these annual bishops appeals flows downstream mm. from folks engagement in the church. And so I don't want to say wash the the development director's hands of this problem. I don't mean to do that at all because I think we've all got to be engaged in it. But I think before we start talking about how do we get them to give to the appeal and, and, and get more younger donors, I think the bigger question is how do we get more people into the church? Mm-hmm. I look at our annual appeal and you know some parishes, we have a higher percentage of participation in our appeal than they have envelope usage. So I'd say, okay, that's a place where we've probably come close to saturating how many folks are going to give to the appeal close. Right. Right. You know, that's not an excuse to stop trying, but it, but it says where, where are we going to get the best bang for a bank, the most impact? Uh, we've got to find ways as a church, and I and this isn't the forum maybe to discuss that unless someone has that answer, I'd love to hear it. But obviously the idea is engaging people. How do we get them into the church? Because then we'll be able to effectively approach them as potential donors and ask them to make a gift. But if we say, hey, we'd love for you to come to church and here's your pledge card, uh, <laughs> I think is not as effective a message here for the for those young folks. And again, I don't say that to kind of wash our hands, but I do know that if if we found that magical solution that all of a sudden we bumped up our giving by 5,000 donors one year, unless we figure out this thing with engaging the culture and engaging people, that's just going to give us a higher base point from which to renew our decline. Mm-hmm. No, you're, you're right. I mean, Brian, you're 100% like spot on. It's, I think as development directors, you know, we do have to focus on, you know, the butts that are in the seats, not absolve ourselves because it is a big evangelization tactic and strategy that has to take place. And, you know, you get them into mass. And that's always like the number one question. Jim, I know you've experienced this when you sit in front of a finance council trying to, you know, sell the services of a capital campaign. And they always ask, what about our, you know, non-donors or right. families that give nothing? And what sure, about the younger sure. families? And yeah, Brian, like you said, yeah, you know, you know, welcome to St. So-and-so Parish. Here's your card. Please consider a three-year pledge. You know, I think there's not a silver bullet to any of it either. Right. You know, so there's, it's, everybody always seems to think that there's like that, you know, that magic uh, wand that you can wave and all this happens, but you know, I think with like the younger generation, just for the church universal, it, you know, they're very attracted to social justice, you know, ministries. So exactly. to kind of use that as a connecting piece, we did that with our champions for Catholic charities dinner this past year, it went completely virtual and we didn't take our event and just plop it online. We actually uh, did more of a documentary about the mission of Catholic charities and how it's central to our faith and how it's not a diocesan ministry. This is a parish ministry. Uh, and we ran a social media campaign uh, with it. And, you know, we, we reached a larger target audience. We were able to actually net more dollars raised as a result of it. 
So, but social justice ministry, I think, and the use of social media, I had read somewhere too, and I'm not an expert on this, but the use of the, the arts, you know, uh, as well uh, within, within our faith, uh, you know, music and actual art. One of the things we are looking at though, that we do have the ability to do, you know, Brian, I think, you know, you, you, you started to talk about this, about how it kind of just um, transcends from those who are engaged already is looking at our donor lists and where their, their children are, you know, where, where are they registered and how are we communicating with them? Are we communicating with them and looking at our sacramental records uh, as well? You know, that piece I think is important. We're starting to do that here, you know, uh, and it's something that we, I think, you know, we need to be focused on. 10 years ago, Jim, somebody would have said to answer your question, oh, electronic giving is the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> that, that, was, yeah. that was always a silver bullet. Like, yeah, that was right. All you have to do is yeah. put the button out there. Everybody's going to push it all day long. Yeah, exactly. But you know, Tom, I think that you're actually quoting Bishop Robert Barron because about a year and a half, two years ago, I want to say he was coming out with something on um, how to engage young people in the church. And he's two of the ways you quoted two of the ways, and one was social justice. And the other is through the beauty and the art of the church. And so, you know, young people have gifts to share that may not be financial. And so fine, but they do tend, we do tend to agree, even if we may not agree on some of the issues that are presented in the church, but, but certainly around social justice, there is certainly agreement with younger generations and the need to serve the poor and the disenfranchised and through the beauty of art, certainly through the ways in which we express our faith. So I think you're spot on there. I think there's a lot of opportunity, especially since Many of the appeals support Catholic charities, so there's certainly an opportunity to enhance or even accentuate that aspect of the appeal. How are your dioceses when it comes to returning to full mass? Are you or returning to in-person masses? Are you all beginning to move in that direction? I would assume with the uh, with the vaccination levels going up, or are we seeing a return to mass soon? Absolutely. Florida's been open for a while. <laughs> I know. We hear about Florida in the news up here in yeah, Pennsylvania. We're wide open. <laughs> Our governor opened us up a long time ago. I was curious if you ever actually closed in Florida. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. But not for long. Uh, we've, been, we've been open again for quite some time. And actually, we just got a notification from Bishop Noonan today saying that as of June, I think the weekend of June 19th, masks will be optional. The, the, they're still encouraged, but they will be optional at that point. Yeah, we're at a place where in St. Louis, where masks are not required for the vaccinated, and you know we were blessed here that when we even when we stopped the public mass, that Archbishop kept the parishes open so people could go visit the church and come visit the the Blessed Sacrament and spend time with our Lord. So in that sense, we were never closed either. There was always that ability to to go spend some time with Him, mm -hmm. uh, which was a great blessing during the pandemic, I have to say. I'm hoping that, you know, as I said, we had, we ordained six priests in the Archdiocese of St. Louis and our big, beautiful cathedral was full of beautiful people. And it was a wonderful thing to be a part of and see. Yeah, we were in the same boat here. Our, our parishes never officially closed. They were always open. There were no public masses for a short time, but yeah, it's, they were always open. We're definitely seeing unmasked people all over the place. <laughs> And, you know, I think it varies by parish. I, I live two blocks from one parish. My husband went there for Good Friday. He said there was probably 500 people and 20 with masks. And then my own parish, which is a couple of miles away, 
it's largely an older population. So, you know, it's maybe 30 or 40 or 50 percent and you see half masked, half not. I think Mm -hmm. it just depends on the demographic of the parish. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it varies parish to parish. Yeah. The, you know, demographics in New Jersey, the capacity limits are now lifted as of this upcoming weekend. And what I have certainly seen, though, in my own parish is Christmas, you know, the attendance for Christmas mass was significantly more than what it was over the summer. Right. And then Ash Wednesday, it increased and stayed throughout Lent. And then Easter Sunday was more than it was for Ash Wednesday. And then I just mass this past weekend, 12 o'clock mass, which is typically fairly light. It was almost, almost standing room only. And I walked in, I wasn't sure where to sit. Yeah, one section was not roped off and there were more people without masks there. And the other side of the church had every other pew roped off. Some people were wearing masks, some people weren't. The cry room was there, Nobody, everybody was in there with no masks. But it was just good to see, you know, people, people back physically in the presence of Christ. And, um, you know, ultimately, I think that's the direction, we, you know, we want to get to and go in and it seems to be right. happening. Yeah. We attended a, um, a family picnic last night for my son who's celebrating the end of his track season and in Pennsylvania. And people are just excited to be back together. You know, there's just kidding. been a hunger for that, especially in our area in the, in the Northeast where we've been closed up for a while. People are just excited, I think, at the prospect. And we're allowed to not wear masks in open areas as long as we've been vaccinated. So a couple quick last questions here. Uh, we're coming up on, on the hour, but I, I do want to ask two questions. First one, how do you engage, if someone were new and they're listening to this podcast and they may not have worked in a diocesan appeal before, how do you use your bishop or use is a bad word? How do you how do you position your bishop or how do you work with your bishop? What's the role of the bishop, the best use of him? for an appeal, especially given the fact that many of you have moved away from calling it a bishop's annual appeal. It's a diocesan appeal or a Catholic charities appeal. What is, uh, certainly he is the chief shepherd and certainly has a role in the appeal. What's the best way to maneuver him, if you will, to leverage his presence? Well, in Orlando, he does sign the letters that go out, particularly for our pre-appeal mailing, although Mm -hmm. the pastors have an option to choose if they want it to go from them. But we have very few parishes, just a handful that make that choice. So he signs the letters and the video is always him. Sure. And we do much the same. He signs at least the first two letters, all the acknowledgements. We include him in the video, either at the beginning or at the end. But I think for us to the, the personal touch points that we coach him on to, to call people, to write to people separately, personal notes, not necessarily top donors, but, you know, important donors who have influence. It's important. Yeah, we use him in that way as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of it, Jim, you know, it's, it's fluid throughout the course of the year. You know, mm-hmm. you can certainly use it during the months of the appeal, but you know, the, the amount of touch points that our Bishop, Bishop Cecchio has with donors, whether it be birthday calls, birthday cards, now we're shifting to anniversaries. You know, I, I would say, I, I think these, even as I just said, what I said about the new donors and young people, I think these, these appeals and the fundraising is generally speaking under appreciated as an evangelization effort. And every time that we as in this profession are able to connect the bishop to the people here and have that interaction and, and we're, we're, we're strengthening their relationship in a sense with the church, right? You know, 
and I know the church is bigger than one man, but I also know that where Peter is, there the church is, right? And, that, and it fits that when we can have that connection, that, that strengthen that connection, you're only going to strengthen people's love and affection for the church and, and give people that, that when there are disagreements, that, that, that personal reaction, say, yeah, but, you know, I know he's not a bad guy. You know, I know, and, and, and you have a, a stronger relationship there. So I think the more that that relationship becomes personal, the better off we, we like, I, you know, I like to make sure that people think here in St. Louis, you know, very Catholic culture and people know this, it's not called the Bishop's appeal. It's the annual Catholic appeal, but he is very closely associated with it. And, and that's what we want it to be is that this is his kind of his right, his right arm. And when they want to give to support the Bishop, this is the place that we want them to, uh, to go. Mm-hmm. So uh, last question, and, and we had a little pre-discussion about this in our prep meeting, and so I, I have to ask. Dio- uh, parish goals for a diocesan appeal, mandatory or not mandatory? Lightning round. I want to hear from everybody on this. What do you think? What is your preference, mandatory goals or not mandatory goals? Brian, I know you have an opinion on this. <laughs> uh, not mandatory goals with no rebate and no financial penalty for making it. Oh wow! Tell us, the basic, tell us the basic, that. the basic reason is that anytime the donors are giving to the annual appeal because they want it to be, they either want to protect or they want the money to come back to their parish. Anytime that's a, a present there, then it's going to feel like that portion that's going to the diocese is going to feel like a tax. And so, I'd rather say the parish is one thing, and it's good and valuable, and you should give to it. Our ministry is worth giving to as well, and here's why. If, if we're not able to do that, then there's, there's, I see there's two potential things. Either it's not supporting ministries that are important and compelling to people, or we're not communicating that effectively. Either way, there's things we can do about it. So that's, that's my 30-second. And I know there's a lot more complex issues than that for the folks who are in other places. So please don't take my oversimplification as any kind of glib response to that. But that's my opinion. Awesome. Next up, Lisa. I'll mute myself. <laughs> well, it's it's a heated topic for sure. <laughs> I worked in the Diocese of Green Bay at the Catholic Foundation before I came here. They did it a little bit differently, but here in Phoenix, we do have goals. They are not mandatory. Nothing is assessed. I think goals are good. I think it's good to have a target. I think there needs to be consistency around those goals. Boy, like there's 10 different opinions within 20 feet of me here. So, but that's how it is. (laughs) We have people here who think there should be no goals at all. And, and honestly, like right now, we actually kind of try to talk to our pastors like that way. Like, don't worry about the goal. Just do the job. Do what we're advising you to do and you'll hit the goal. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) Awesome. No, that was great. Well, in Orlando, the goals are mandatory uh, since 1977 when the consultors with the bishop decided that that's the way it should be. But we do not have an additional cathedraticum tax. So the parishes have a mandatory goal. And when they reach it, a portion, one third of it goes back to them for immediate use for whatever they want. One third goes to their parish endowment that is established at the Catholic Foundation for future use and into perpetuity. And one third goes to our priest's retirement endowment to care for our retired and aging priests. Jim, I'm going to uh, answer this with a mandatory, with you know three caveats. Okay. Mark kind of hit on some of that already because it's a mandatory with a model like that. A mandatory for another podcast for another day because 
What Mardo started to speak about is in relation to an overall restructuring of the Bishop's Annual Appeal, hmm. as it also relates to capital campaigns of the parishes. So I think like, the, the, you know, those are two things that I think with mandatory goals, without the assessment piece, what that I would be in favor for. Excellent. Marta, just a quick question. You said 1977. That's how long you go back to mandatory goals. Who was the bishop back then? It was Bishop Grady, and he was the second bishop of Orlando. The first bishop, we were our diocese was established in 1968, and Bishop Borders was the bishop. He moved on, I think, to Baltimore, and then Bishop Grady took over. After he took over, he just decided that we should discuss this, that he and the pastor should discuss it, and they overwhelmingly said they didn't want to pay a tax. They wanted an opportunity to raise the money in the pew on a given weekend, and that's how our appeal was established. That's great. Well, I'm, I'm asking, actually, it's a leading question because I was actually confirmed by Bishop Grady in ninth grade, so that's why I had to ask you that. You're in Orlando? I was I was in Orlando, yes, back oh, in, cool. in high school, yes. <laughs> this was a great conversation, guys. Brian, Tom, Lisa, Marta, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your experiences and this will be available on, this is available now on, on Facebook and will be available on our website afterwards. Uh, next week, actually, we'll be publishing it. So thanks again for all your great expertise. Thanks for all you do for our church and have a fantastic rest of the week. Well, thank you for inviting us. Great to be with you, Jim and Tom and Lisa and Marta, all of you. Yes, everyone. Good to see you. Good to be with you. Thank you, Jim. It's a lot of fun. All right. See you all take- at the ICSE conference this fall, I hope. Yes, yep. ICSE. Quick plug. Yes, we'll see you at ICSE. All right. <laughs> All right. God bless. Thank you. I want to thank Brian, Tom, Marta, and Lisa for being on our show today. What a great conversation. What wonderful insights that you all shared. And I just want to thank you for all you do to further the mission of our church. If you'd like to view the full video presentation of this podcast, I encourage you to visit our show's episode page on advancingourchurch.com. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for another great show. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for over 21 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me this week. Next week, we have a wonderful panel of pastors who are going to share with us their wisdom on how they have adapted their ministries during COVID and what they see as the future of parish ministry and technology as it has been adapted over the last year and a half. It's going to be a great conversation, and I hope you'll join us. Until then, have a great week, everyone. God bless.